0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're all welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. I hope we find you well wherever you are. Uh, this webinar is brought to you by Chagask in association with uh, Dairy Sustainability Ireland, uh, the National Rural Network, and Food Drink Ireland. My name is Pat Murphy, and I'm head of Environment Knowledge Transfer with Chavisk. I'm joined this morning uh, by Parik Foley. Parik uh, will be helping us with the questions. Good morning, Parik. Morning, Matt. And Yvonne is in the background, keeping us straight. So, good morning, y- Yvonne. We're also joined by Jack, if you, Jack Nolan from the Department of Agriculture, morning, senior morning. inspector with the Department of Agriculture and is taking a lead in terms of the development of the uh, Ireland's nitrates review. Jack, you're you're very welcome.
1: Thanks very much, Pat. Good morning, everybody.
0: Jack, uh, you might just give us an idea of what what it is you're going to be uh, going through with us this morning.
1: Uh, Thanks, Pat. So I'm going to give a brief history of the nitrates directive, why it came, um, what the Irish government's approach is towards nature, and the issues that we have at the moment, and where we are as regards water quality, what the latest data is telling us. And then I'll outline the proposed measures that are in the public consultation that we're hoping people will reply to by September the 20th. This consultation is open for six weeks, and hopefully there'll be plenty of questions afterwards.
0: Okay, and remember that use the user, for questions use the, the Q&A, uh, so, Jack, if you're ready, we may as well fire ahead with the presentation. So if you want to share your screen with us.
1: Good morning, everybody. And thanks very much to Chagisk for inviting me here. And I suppose congratulations to Chagisk and the dairy industry and all those involved in these seminars. They've been running now for over a year and are very successful. I think Pat and Porig and Yvonne were saying earlier they're up in the 70s now. And there's been a great amount of information given out through them. And I think information and knowledge sharing is so vital to what we're trying to do. I'm going to talk today about the nitrates review. Um, I'm just going to talk first about the idea that we need to open our minds a little bit and be willing to change. Like every time we talk about change, it's nearly seen as a negative, but we've been making progress for hundreds of years and we're going to keep making it. The Department of Agriculture, the EPA and other, the government invest hugely in research every year. And we keep stepping forward as the research gets translated into practice on the ground we have to change as the facts change. That applies equally for the Department of Agriculture, of course, so you have an opportunity now, those of you that are listening, if you read the public consultation document or listen to me today, if there's something there that you think can be done better, you know, let us know. We want to know, we genuinely want to know or raise it today, but do put it in in writing. Please remember that the measures I'm going to outline are all joined up together, none of them are a magic bullet or a silver bullet to solve our issues with the climate or with water or biodiversity. But when you accumulate them all together, they will help us deliver for water quality. And I think what we're going to look at today, the measures that are going to be outlined, if they are implemented on farms and we can get these changes to take place, we will make great progress. And I suppose at the outset, I'd like to acknowledge as well. And I think it's often important that we say, Farmers have come a long way and the industry have come a long way in the past 20, 30 years. Like if we went back to the 1970s and accession to the EU, the changes that have taken place on farm and across society are enormous. And we need to keep making progress. But it is important to say that farmers are continuously progressing. The pace mightn't be to some people's what they want. They might want it to move further or faster, but progress is being made. The Nitrates Directive was introduced in 1991, and the reason it was introduced was because of intensification across Europe, increasing livestock numbers, increasing fertilizer use, and the resulting impact on water quality. Now it's awful important, I'm going to talk mainly about water quality, but there's no way you can separate out water from climate, ammonia, biodiversity, soil health. We should really be talking about nature. So the Directive was introduced in 1991, all the Member States signed up to it, including us. The Commission brought us to court, to the European Court of Justice, because we didn't do enough about it. We did introduce a code of practice in, I think, in 96, and that would have been been introduced by the Department of Housing at the time. They're the lead authority. The Department of Housing are the lead authority for the nitrates regulations because they're responsible for water quality in Ireland. So in 2005, the first regulations were introduced, and Deputy Dick Roach at the time was the Minister for the Environment. So it's a long time ago, 15 or 16 years ago. Tyrone who were in the All-Ireland final again this year. Bet Kerry in the All-Ireland final that year. And Ireland moved from miles per hour to kilometers per hour. So if you think how long that is in our mind, like like to go back to miles per hour, it's a long time ago. So we should be making progress. Like sometimes people will say to you, we need more time. Maybe we do, but we should have moved a long way as well because it's 16 years ago. It's a long time ago. Those regulations that were initially brought in in 2005, there was a lot of upset around them because they set nitrogen limits on 10 kilo stocking rate bands. So depending on whether you were stocked at 130, 140, 150 or less, you had a nitrogen equivalent. And it was said, and it was probably right, look, that's too restrictive and very hard for farmers to comply with. So new regulations were introduced in 2006. The directive itself allows that if you can prove If Ireland or any other member state can prove that you can go above the general stocking rate limit, which is 170 kilos of nitrogen per hectare from livestock manure, if you can prove that applying more than that won't damage water quality or or lead to disimprove proving water quality trends, well, then you can apply for what's called a derogation. And Ireland's derogation is based on a long growing season. Grass is growing over 300 days a year, 305 or 10 days a year down the south, southeast, southwest. Uh, a crop with high nitrogen uptake and denitrification potential in the soil. We also have a very mild climate. We, generally speaking, don't get extremes. Climate change is happening, but generally speaking, we have mild weather throughout the year, around 12 degrees. Now we do get extremes and storm events and so on, but the water itself, the amount of rainfall we get, dilutes nitrogen. That's not an excuse, but it actually happens. So the first irrigation Ireland got or was approved for, because you have to apply to the Commission, was in 2007. And those derogations, generally speaking, last for four years. But because ours came in in 2007, we had to go again in 2010 and apply again. And then you revise your regulations. So in the directive, it says you must review and revise your regulations every four years, based on the science brought forward. So everything we're doing and are trying to do in the regulation and in from the directive, is based on science, the best available science. And as new evidence becomes available, you have to update your regulation. We are one of three or four member states that have a derogation. Holland has one, Denmark, Flanders, and us. The North used to have one, obviously with Brexit, they're out. Germany had one, it was taken away because of poor water quality. Italy had one, that's gone. So the derogation isn't something that's a given. It has to be applied for. And you have to show that it's not having an impact on water quality. At the moment we have about 7000 irrigation applicants, and we have another four and a half thousand farmers that are over the 170 limit, but export slurry to comply with it and I'll come to a table in a minute. The whole area around nature. These are the guiding principles for the Irish government. So, nature based solutions is what's first on the left. And what's really important there is that you look at human well being so sometimes people talk about water or they talk about biodiversity and they don't see that that links back to humans. And obviously farmers are humans as well. So some people talk about water quality, the insects, the fish and so on, and that's 100% right. We also have to think about particularly what we've seen during the pandemic. People are out enjoying nature more than ever before. The consumer has a huge role to play here. Societal well-being is so important. How do farmers contribute to that? And how does society contribute to farmers' well-being as well? By paying a fair price for the product that we're producing. Nature-based solutions mean that you're looking across the whole landscape. So we're not granting a farmer, say, in my parish at one end to do something for birds, and the person next door or farmer next door, whether it's a man or woman, is taking out every ditch in the site and destroying any habitat that's there. You have to look across the landscape. We have a forum on natural capital that wants us to appreciate. Sometimes when we look at a hedge or we think of soil, we don't get the full value out of it. Like a hedge in the right place will prevent flooding, it sequesters carbon, it's a disease barrier for animals because it prevents contact between them and you have all the biodiversity benefits and you have the incalculable benefits to society through looking at nature, like people love walking love walking in the evenings, love walking in the morning. And then Ireland obviously has signed up to the sustainable development goals where we have things like no poverty, zero hunger, clean water, healthy soils. Healthy soils are so important and we don't do enough about it. Like this regulation in Ireland deals with nitrogen and phosphorus. In a review recently, we brought in lime, but there are numerous other trace elements out there, things like boron that we don't think about enough. Magnesium, manganese, copper, Like who is giving advice to farmers, our merchants, people selling fertilizer to them, our advisors on the ground. If you're an advisor listening today, do you focus solely on nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. What exact advice are you giving to a farmer? If you're a farmer when you're taking a soil sample, what do you do with that result when you get back? This should be the guiding policy for all of us. Think of nature first. But remember, humans are a huge part of it. So a fair income for farmers, a fair price for what they're producing, but there's an expectation on farmers then that you're going to protect the environment. The significant pressures we're about to, the Department of Housing are about to publish a public consultation that will last for six months on Ireland's third river basin management plan. And the Water Framework Directive is an overarching directive that includes the nitrates, and includes drinking water, sewage sludge directives and so on. And as that oh, sorry, that directive says that we must have good water quality across Europe by 2027, and the majority of member states are not going to meet that. But we have to try. It's not enough to say we can't meet it. We have to keep trying to improve. And what's been seen by the evidence and this slide is from the EPA, so very thanks to them agriculture uses two-thirds of the land area in Ireland. So obviously it's going to be a huge pressure, but it's by far and away. If you look at the chart on the left or the chart, the bar on the left-hand side there, you can see in the case of rivers that are impacted and waters that are impacted, agriculture is by far and away the most significant impact. Hydromorphology means when you tamper with drains, watercourses, and so on, straighten them or take action for flooding, it's a major impact forestry. Urban wastewater keeps coming up, and urban wastewater misconnection, wrong connection, sewage treatment plants not working, um, domestic houses not having proper treatment plants, all have an impact, but that's mainly on phosphorus. And it pales in comparison to agriculture. So agriculture is the most significant impact and it has to be dealt with. And the major way of dealing with it in Ireland is through the nitrates regulations. On a regional basis, most nitrogen losses are occurring in the east and southeast from agriculture. And what these charts are showing if you look at the orange one they've been gradually going up since about 2015. Now in 2018 there was an unnatural spike due to the drought and everybody should remember and acknowledge that climate can overwhelm all our best measures so no matter what we do we can be overwhelmed by climate whether that's a storm event or a drought. Fertiliser advice has changed on foot of 2018 at the time there was conflicting advice being given to farmers some of it was saying put out more fertiliser, other was saying look wait, when we get rain the fertiliser will be used and become available, and we know now that that's what we should be doing, and we saw that reflected this year when we've had dry periods, the advice, look wait, don't put out more nitrogen. But what we've also seen since 2015 is that animal numbers in the south and southeast have increased, so sometimes you'll hear said look Animal numbers over the past 20, 30 years, they're fairly stable and they are. We haven't seen a huge growth, but what we have seen is a move to the areas of the country where you have, generally speaking, freer draining soils and a longer growing season and less rainfall. And it's having a significant impact on water quality. And you can see here it's going up and the results for 2020 aren't there yet, but hopefully there will be an improvement. We can turn this around. That's the key thing to remember. Like this is not something that we have no control over. measures that we're talking about here and that i'm going to talk about will have an impact the measures already in place are having an impact we just need more involvement more uptake. to simplify it in the west of ireland and on heavy soils there are issues around phosphorus coming from the asap or the agricultural sustainability support and advisory program a lot of this relates to outwintering for example where people are poaching or obviously the stock are doing the poaching so you have a round feeder in the field The soil is turned into liquid from the heavy animals and that soil runs off the drains and watercourses. Again, that's something that can be dealt with. The nitrogen again is in the south and southeast, so every farmer has a role to play here. It's not like it's all dairy farmers, tillage farmers, every farmer. And just to be clear, since 2005 or 2006 when the amended regulation came in, the nitrate regulations apply to every farmer in the country. It's not like this is something that's coming out of the blue or it's being expanded by government. There are nitrogen and phosphorus limits, closed periods for fertilizer spreading and so on that farmers are well aware of that have been there since 2005, 2006. So what's the best way to deal with this? Well, targeting obviously. So you want to target the right measures in the right place. So for phosphorus, break the pathway. Don't have connectivity between the sediment and the phosphorus and the drains and the watercourses. And there are co benefits here, again, an EPA slide for biodiversity, nature, nature benefits. So what you want to do is get the best value out of any measure that you bring in. And there are different ways of supporting measures on farms. One of those is through CAP, the Common Agricultural Policy, which obviously is quite significant. And the next agri-environmental scheme that's introduced will be taking a landscape approach, as much as possible, building on EIPs using local knowledge to put the right measure in the right place. For nitrogen, the key is reducing losses at source. So making sure that there's precision fertilizer application that is put out at the right time of year, the right amount and in the right place so that it can be taken up by a growing crop. So for example, putting out nitrogen in early January because that's advice and you're not taking into account your soil type, what's happening as regards growth, Are you grass measuring? What advice is coming from pasture base? Like every farmer should be measuring your grass. If you're growing grass and we're very good, our biggest natural advantage in Ireland is growing grass. But are you measuring it to make sure that you're only applying nitrogen when it's needed? Have you got your pH right? If you spread lime and lime went up the other day from 24 to 26 euro a tonne, here in Wexford anyway, the economic benefit of spreading a tonne of lime is between four and seven times. 10 10 20 now, a common fertilizer is over 500 euro a tonne. Nitrogen is over 320 euro a tonne here, anyway, down in Wexford. I don't know what it is in your area. So it's gone very, very expensive. So why aren't we getting the soil right, getting it healthy, getting it working? That'll protect the environment, it'll put more money back in farmers' pockets. There has been a huge campaign around this, and there is more lime being sold than ever before. But it's something we should think of before you give out to me or the department or anybody else about reducing nitrogen have you got your soil in good healthy working order but it is key to remember what we're trying to do is introduce measures that will benefit nature benefit climate benefit ammonia losses reduce ammonia losses what's happening in Ireland as regards the bovine livestock herd, so cattle dairy is that we're seeing intensification on a smaller number of farms, a small, sorry, a smaller number of farms. So about a third of the livestock in Ireland is on half the farms. And that means that the other 27% of farms there, so from hundred up, have two thirds of the bovine livestock in Ireland. And what farmers will tell you, and it's fair enough, is that you need to produce more to make a living. Like we're not getting, farmers aren't getting the same money per kilo of beef or lamb, prices are good this year, but this year may be exceptional. The same for grain. so farmers have gotten bigger. But you see also on the right hand side there, two thirds of the dairy cows in Ireland are now on what would be considered if you use the 170 as a barometer or a bar intensive farms. So farming has intensified and that intensification has mainly taken place in the areas where you're getting nitrogen losses. Just this summer, the EPA for the first time published a catchment assessment report, which is of great value because for the first time ever, it sets out potential nitrogen load reductions that are needed by catchment. We have blanket regulations up to this point where measures have applied equally, whether you're in Donegal, Cork, or Wexford. Now, obviously, blanket measures can bring you so far, like nutrient management planning, soil sampling. These are all key things, but soil and the climate in your area is so important. So this sets out in thousands of tons of nitrogen, what we need to do. And it's based on modelling, based on data provided by the Department of Agriculture around stocking rates and land use. And what it says as well, just I referred earlier to treatment plants, whether they're domestic or urban wastewater treatment plants in rural catchments, 85% of the nitrogen and water is coming from agriculture. So agriculture needs to accept, look, there are losses here. But yes, we have been doing things about it. And we're going to do more, we're going to improve because I'm going to come to a Chagas report in a minute that says average nitrogen use efficiency on farms on dairy farms in Ireland is around 23 or 4%. But it's possible to get that up over 35%, which is nearly a 50% improvement in nitrogen efficiency, that is possible. Using things like clover, we can reduce nitrogen by 100 kilos per hectare, multi species grassland offer huge opportunities. Breeding of animals, it's so important. It's quick and it's cumulative. What this report also shows is that in the tillage or arable catchments, 30% of the nitrogen in the water is coming from tillage. The The Department of Agriculture asked Chagas to model various scenarios. So if we do things with a closed period, what would that mean? Obviously it's a model, so it's limitations, but it's the best work that can be done. So Moorpark carried out this work. The close period is effective. Someone probably today is going to talk about calendar farming and how stupid it is. 50% or thereabouts of nitrogen, of nutrient losses occur during the close period. That's a fact. Daylight is getting shorter already. I was at a a minor football match last night by eight o'clock the lights came on and it was getting cold. So grass growth is slowing down. The water table is going to rise. Nobody will go out in November with a bag of urea or 10, 10, 20 or very rarely anyway, because they know there's no good from it. And it's the same thing with slurry. Precision fertilizer use is vital. And that means measuring your grass, starting by measuring your grass, getting your soil healthy, functional, working well, a third of biodiversity on earth is in the soil. Get that healthy, get it working for you. And as I said earlier, climate impact can overwhelm. That's not an excuse, but it needs to be acknowledged. So they've looked at the various measures, none of them on their own are outstanding, but when put together, we can achieve what we want to achieve. So what's proposed in these measures is that from the 1st of January next year, you wouldn't be putting out slurry after the 30th of September. And the reason here is that as you get closer to the end of the growing season, the nitrogen that's put out will be washed out of the soil when we get storm events and heavy rainfall. Now we can get storm events at any time of the year. So slurry shouldn't be going out in front. If there's heavy rainfall forecast, slurry shouldn't be going out anyway, but it's more likely at the time of year called the closed period. And there's less growth. And it's proposed to bring that back to the 15th of September for 2023. It's proposed from the 1st of January next year that all newly constructed outside tanks or external tanks should be covered. And this is to prevent ammonia loss. And the reason that ammonia is being prevented here, being dealt with here, is because keeping things in one regulation makes it easier to deal with, but it also reduces the nitrogen being lost to the environment. Like if slurry loses ammonia, that's a reduction in the value of the slurry, which needs means you need to replace it with chemical fertilizer. And what we're trying to do here is reduce losses to the environment, reduce the amount of chemical fertilizer that's needed all existing slurry stores should be covered no later than the end of December, 2027. In the bottom right-hand corner, you see an example of the poaching I talked about earlier. At the moment, there's a facility there where extensive farmers, those stocked less than 130 or 40 kilos per hectare can avail of reduced storage throughout wintering. And it's proposed that that figure would be reduced down. So it only applies to less than 100 kilos per hectare, which is still half the farmers in Ireland, but it's less than a third of the livestock. So we should have less issues in the future because these farmers will have to make sure they have adequate storage. And we really want to avoid or get a change in practice, get behavioral change. This is so damaging for the soil. What kind of grass yield, as well as the environmental harm that's been done here, what kind of grass yield can be expected off that next year? You know, it's just, it's damaging our best natural acid. <coughs> as regards soil water and this, this is receiving a huge amount of attention. Based on the department cross compliance inspections, four out of 10 dairy farmers don't have enough slurry storage. And we understand or we think that a lot of this is due to soiled water mixing with slurry. Now people, we've said that there should be, or we're suggesting that there should be separate soiled water storage on farms. And the logic behind that is that that means that you'll have enough slurry storage. Somebody might ask today, look, I have a lagoon, I have a big store, or I have underground tanks with plenty of room for my soiled water and my slurry. And if you have, it makes sense from a scientific point of view, that should be fine. So that's what you should say in your proposal, in your submission. These are only proposals. But we are saying by the end of December 24, there should be four weeks storage for soiled water, whether that's in one big tank or in separate tanks. And the reason behind that, An average dairy cow from 2015, from a colleague in Chagas called Dennis Minogue, God rest him. He did a report there that said he did research the average dairy cow produces about 10,000 litres or there's about 10,000 litres of dairy washings produced in a year. Now dairy cows are milking between 290, 295 days a year. So say about 30 litres a day, 210 litres a week. And there's about 13 kilos of nitrogen in that soiled water like some people are seeming to suggest there's no value to soiled water, but yet when you put it out, you will see the grass greening up. So it is proposed that from 2022, there wouldn't be any soiled water applied to land from the 15th of November to the 15th of January. Our whole thing around compliance is a real problem. If four out of 10 dairy farmers don't have enough storage, a very small number of farmers are penalized for not having enough, or sorry, for spreading during the closed period and yet anecdotal evidence would suggest and probably all of you here would know somebody that does spread during the closed period. Now people may say we're trying to crack a nut with a hammer but there is a huge problem around spreading during the closed period. And mixing of soiled water with slurry is part of that problem. Like people are saying there's a rogue in every parish but it seems to be becoming nearly standard practice. We don't have We don't have the capacity in the Department of Agriculture to inspect every farmer. The department does inspections that we're required to do for the basic payment and for EU regulations because we're the paying authorities. This regulation is the responsibility of local authorities, the Department of Housing as well. We also need the EPA to come on board so we have, and they are fully on board, but we need a joined up government approach and I suppose it's terrible but some farmers that are spreading during the closed period need to be called out and a heavy penalty applied. I'm not a big fan of penalties, but it can't become something that people ignore to the detriment of everybody else and to the detriment of society. And remember, we're exporting about 14 billion euro worth of product every year, Bia do huge work on marketing our Ireland abroad, on origin green and our environmental credentials. And yet we're saying four out of 10 of our dairy farmers have inadequate storage. And we've had these storage requirements in place since 2006 so we need to be careful about what we're doing when we're selling our product and claiming how good we are to the environment and look at the water quality biodiversity statistics and our climate statistics and engage with it fully and take it on board and also from the other side people need to accept that it takes time to change and that farmers are making a huge effort we're seeing that farmers from 100 kilos per hectare up need to use low emission equipment from 2023 onwards. And the reason here is that we have a strategy around climate change. We're the only sector weighted in agriculture. And in that strategy, it says, we must use low emission equipment to reduce our ammonia losses. The same thing with covering the external stores. That's why it's there. And if you use low emission equipment, you will be able to reduce your chemical fertilizer. You will get back to graze the land quicker. This is proven by Chagas. It's commonplace across Europe. You don't have to go out and buy a tank, they're expensive. Talk to the local contractor. You can get grant aid from the department for it. But remember on the flip side, that grant aid is being funded by the European and Irish taxpayer. And there is an expectation that agriculture and farmers will be doing more for the environment. It's expected that there will be incorporation or proposed that there will be incorporation of organic manures applied to land within within 12 hours again, to reduce ammonia losses. the Dairy cow excretion rate has been 85 kilos since 1993, 94 in reps. And we've been challenged by the commission and other member states to say, what's happening in Ireland? Across Europe, it's standard to have different sized dairy cows. And we asked Chagas to look at this and these are the figures that have been arrived at. So it's proposed that we would have three bands, depending on where you fit in on milk yield. Now obviously this will have significant impact for a certain cohort of farmers. About two thirds or 70% of the milk is in the middle band. I think there's about 17% of milk produced at the upper band. Some people may say there may be more bands, some may say there should be less, but the idea that we'll have a single figure going forward is not going to happen. We've been challenged directly on this by the commission and the Chagas work has been provided to the commission and it is scientific evidence that there are huge differences between what's happening on Irish farms. For example, the Chagas roadmap says we should be feeding about 500 kilos of meal per cow, I think. On average, we're feeding a tonne. In some instances, farmers are feeding a tonne and a half to two tons. Within that meal, there are different levels of crude protein. It's another thing that will have to be looked at, reducing the level of crude protein to meet the animal's diet. When we talk here, this may particularly affect, say, for example, winter milk producers, The soiled water is going to be a particular problem for winter milk producers, that's acknowledged, and we'll have to tease out further during this consultation and after it, what exactly can be done there. Chemical fertiliser, it's proposed, will be reduced by 10% from next January, and perhaps 15% in those areas where there are particular issues with nitrogen loss. And I don't think anyone can argue against that because there are huge losses. According to the EPA report based on modeling, about 30 kilos of every hundred applied to land end up in water. There are ways to reduce that precision, measure your grass like the colleague here, when you're applying the fertilizer. So we're also looking at the periods, the the periods, say early in the spring, the 16th to January, you can spread fertilizer. Does that make sense? Should we be using something like a model to say, there's no grass growth now, like every Sunday met here and now give out a grass growth forecast for the week ahead. Should we be looking at that the same at the back end of the year? But there's no point in having a target in mind of so much fertilizer applied by such and such a date, unless you're looking and measuring grass. You're taking into account what's happening with the weather. You're looking at your soil, you have your phosphorus P and K right. A third of nitrogen in the arable catchments comes from tillage. So what we're saying here is that within seven days of cutting the crop, you have to give a run of a harrow, a straw, a tine, whatever you want to get natural regeneration occurring. And it's been pointed out, look, seven days is quite tight. So, well, what are the counter proposals then to that? Because the longer you leave it, the more nitrogen you're going to leak. We know if we do it this way, we can soak up about 50 kilos per hectare on average. 50 kilos per hectare is a bag and a half a can per acre that can be soaked up if we take this measure. So if we don't take this measure, or if we push it out to a longer date, we're going to lose more nitrogen. So it would be a good idea as well, if you're saying, look, this is unrealistic and maybe it's very tight. What are we going to do instead? We're saying if you harvest maize, vegetables, potatoes later in the year, well then in those fields, if there's connectivity, so if there's a drain or a stream or a watercourse, you're going to have to have a buffer of between three and six meters or a distance that's yet to be decided But that is appropriate to make sure there isn't overland flow of soil and phosphorus and sediment that will damage the water. We're also looking at the soil test that we use at the moment, which is Morgan's P. You've already seen a soil testing programme was announced in the last budget and there was publicity about it and it went out to tender for 10 million euro and that's going to open in the next couple of weeks and it will be on ag food and farmers will apply for it and the idea here is that Soil and soil testing is so important. And we're going to find out more about our soils than ever before. So we'll do pH, phosphorus, potassium. We'll do trace elements. We'll also do carbon. And the key thing for those farmers that apply is when they get this back, that they put it into practice. That it doesn't go into a drawer. That the people that are in the co-op that are selling fertilizer, look at the soil sample results and give advice based on it. Not on what the neighbor is doing or what we always did, but based on the soil sample results. So it's a 10 million investment by the Irish government in putting this valuable information into farmer's hands. So there's a review of the technical tables as well. So we know the nutrient content of certain fertilizers, for example, is not right. For example, broiler manure, the nutrient, the nitrogen content in the regulation is about half of what it should be. We've asked Chagas to look at other figures such as the storage requirements for dairy cows. At the moment, it's 0.33 cubic meters per week. Is that correct or not? These figures were derived many years ago. So there's a lot of work going on. There's also a proposal there that those farmers that are above 100 kilos per hectare should be able to avail of the phosphorus buildup allowance. And all these things are being reviewed as part of the regulation. The picture on the right relates to commonage because there's also a proposal saying that if you have land taken more than 30 kilometers from the home farm, that shouldn't be counted for your stocking rate. We used to have a situation where commonage farmers were taking commonage, like it might be commonly known as map acres where people take land but don't farm it to dilute their stocking rate. So the stocking rate allowance on commonage is going to be reduced, guaranteed. The fertilizer, there will be no chemical fertilizer allowance obviously on commonage because it's never applied. People may say, I do have land 30 kilometers away. If you do put in a proposal to say exactly what's happening here and how it should be dealt with. Other farmers say, look, I'm taking land from the neighbour up the road. He's putting it in or she on BPS. I'm buying fertiliser for it. How do we work that? Well, within the regulation that we have, we can't work that. You can do a rental agreement with that person. There is a thing like active farmers. Should that person be applying for BPS if you're the person farming it? But the department can't bring in a regulation to deal with that. You know, we can't say, right, this is what's happening on the ground, so we'll adjust the regulation. Things have to be done as they should be done. Within two years or less, there will be a chemical fertilizer register, where when you go to the co-op, you'll give your herd number, and that information will be transferred to the department. Now, some people are thinking they'll stockpile fertilizer, and that'll be a way around it for a short year or two, but the price of fertilizer is very high at the minute. It isn't the time to be stockpiling, that's the general advice anyway. And for the majority of farmers that are working with the, in the limit, this won't be an issue. Also, if you're in an area with high organic matter, you'll have to take a soil sample to prove it. Otherwise you'll only be using index tree or maintenance rates for phosphorus. If there are other areas that haven't been covered today that you feel you're listening to me talk or when you read the document need more attention, well then please bring them to our attention. And finally, just to say, this is not going to be solved by somebody giving out to farmers. And we have issues here, we are working together. We need to keep working together and we need to work more together. Now I've mentioned government and the taxpayer and farmers, but industry advisors, universities have a huge role to play here as well. How do industry reward farmers for doing more for the environment or do they? In certain co-ops, you'll get more if you milk record, if you're in an animal health plan. Other co-ops are having projects around biodiversity and so on, dairy farmers use 50% of the fertilizer in Ireland, what is being done to help them what's being done by industry. To help them, because industry and the consumer are key here as well, they have a huge role to play regulation obviously is so important implementing regulation, making sure there are higher compliance levels. But don't forget about industry what your neighbor is doing. Because behavioral change only happens when it becomes standard practice across society and across your peers. And industry have a huge role to play in making these things that I'm talking about standard practice. We will solve this, we can solve this, but everybody has to pull together. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks very much, Jack. You might just stop sharing your presentation there. Uh... Inundated with questions, I think, Parik. Uh, I'll just start with, with, with one, just a clarification one. Uh, will a farmer spreading 80 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare and his neighbor spreading 260, will both have to reduce application by by 10%?
1: No, the maximum fertilizer rates are what will be reduced. So in the regulation, Pat, their top line. So for, for nitrogen for grassland farmers, less than 170, for example, I think it's around 205 or 200 kilos. So that will re- be reduced by 10%. So it'll have minimal impact on the person at 80 kilos. That's not to say that the person at 80 kilos doesn't need to mine the fertilizer. They need to be sure they're doing the right thing as well. But it'll have no impact.
0: Okay. And there's, there isn't a plan for a scale down uh, level? Okay, below the, the 170. Okay. Ulrich, plenty of questions.
2: Yeah, lots of questions. Um, Jack, I guess the most popular question has come in. Lots of farmers on, on this morning and um, an absolute concern about the covering of slatted tanks outdoors after so cubicles outside and they're scraping into slatted tanks or if after slatted tanks outside. Do they need to be covered as well, Jack? Or are you just talking about uh, overgrown storage um, in storage silos?
1: Overground stores and lagoons, if there's a way to cover them that's healthy, sorry, not that's healthy, that's safe. They should be covered. Like, when we're challenged and we is the agricultural sector about climate and about ammonia, we say, well, look, we have a strategy. And in that strategy that everybody has signed up to, we have targets around fertilizer reduction. We have targets around reducing our ammonia losses. And key measures within that are to reduce the reduction of ammonia losses from storage, reduction in crude protein in animal diets, and the use of low emission equipment. So that's where these measures are coming from.
2: So just to be clear, it's not outdoor tanks then, slatted tanks? No. Okay. Um, will the Department of Agriculture put limits on f- for phosphorus based on dairy production bans similar to the nitrates regulation?
1: There are limits in place already for phosphorus. We're one of only about five member states that have dealt with phosphorus. In the new cap, phosphorus is being brought in as part of the Water Framework Directive. I suppose we don't, I think, get the credit for it. We have a progressive regulation and farmers have been dealing with phosphorus limits since 2005, 2006, and they are already banded.
2: Okay, um, regarding roofing slurry stores, um, Jack, will there be a TAMS grant for that? Also, there are concerns around them collapsing in heavy snowfall, uh, like storm Emma, et cetera. So if you have any wisdom there left Sorry, To the best, there, thing-
1: Sorry, Park. To the best of my yeah. knowledge, there is a TAMS grant for that. And I'd also like to point out, there is a TAMS grant for tillage farmers. So if there's someone up the road that wants to build a tank to take slurry, because of the price of fertilizer now, there is a TAMS grant available for that. I'd imagine, I can't see any possibility of the department saying to a farmer, cover that tank if there's a health and safety risk. But imagine that will have to be certified by an engineer and what's going to happen then in the future. But no, nobody will be asked to cover a tank if there's any risk at all.
2: Does soiled water include water coming off open silage pits, Jack? And will water irrigators still be allowed to spread dirty water in December?
1: or like this is, uh, we've been dealing with water off silage pits for 15 years. It's not like we suddenly dreamt it up. If you keep the silage pit clean, that water doesn't count as soiled water. Now, maybe it should, but it doesn't at the moment when we're doing the calculations, the department or local authorities on inspections. So are people proposing, I suppose, and if they are, please put it in writing, that all the water off a clean silage pit should be included, because at the minute we don't.
2: Will water irrigators still be allowed to spread dirty water in December?
1: No, soiled water, there'll be no application of organic fertilisers and soiled water contains about 13 kilos of nitrogen. I can't remember the figure for phosphorus. There will be no application to land in November and December of any material containing nitrogen or phosphorus. That's what's proposed.
2: Okay, is there any chance that DAFM will use farmed area rather than the area used to, to, for the claims? Um, A lot of farmers are greater than 170 kilograms on paper, but less than 170 if they look at the the judged farm area. Any
1: views on that? Is this the map area thing again? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I deal with that. Or Sorry, not I. I don't know how the department would deal with that. Like, There's 1.7 or 8 billion coming in in subsidies every year from the European taxpayer into Ireland to guarantee now a safe, good quality supply of food, obviously, which we're providing. But that money is dependent on declaring the land you're farming on a basic payment form. The department has done everything possible, like short-term rental agreements, livestock movements and so on, to facilitate short-term rental of land. Unless there is a way we can do what's been asked there and comply with the regulation, I'm not aware of it how we do it.
2: Okay, not quite the calendar farming question that you predicted, but why can't recognition be given to grass growth and soil temperatures and moisture content um, when spreading soil water or slurry in the close period limits? You know, we have those uh, measurements there on farms. Um, obviously, you mentioned Metairn with soil temperatures and grass growth. So if, if grass is growing, why can't people spread?
1: I suppose because, Porik, it's, um grass growth is minimal. If it is growing, it's minimal. If you're measuring grass, like. When do you stop measuring grass? Do people keep measuring grass in November? Maybe they do in November and December. But generally speaking, if you look at the grass growth curve, it'll kick off in January, it'll go up, 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 and then it'll start to fall. And as something falls, you're getting diminishing returns. So even though you might see a return from fertilizer, from slurry, from soil water applied at that time, you're going to significantly increase the potential for losses. Like it used to be a thing that a frosty day was a great day to spread slurry. Because you could travel on the land and then when the frost thawed, sure it went to the water course. People probably will give out about the umbilical system because farmers are going out when the land is not right to spread it. It's not the problem of the system, it's the problem of the person applying it. Because they don't have enough storage. If you had, if you want, what we could do, and maybe it should be a submission. If we have six months storage on a farm, then I'd suggest you should be able to apply it when you want. Because you'll apply it when you need to apply it you know, when you're going to get the most value out of it. Like, what, like, is there someone there that's applying slurry in December because they think it's going to give the grass a boost? It's 40, 50, 55 euro an hour to get a slurry tanker if you hire in a contractor and more to get an umbilical system. And you'll get no value or very little value out of that in the close period. You'll get more in the spring. Now, people might say, I can apply it in January and there's going to be heavy rain. No, you can't. This is a valuable nutrient, a valuable fertilizer. You apply it, When growing conditions are right, when the soil is right. And if you look at the storage capacity that should be on farms, we should be able to store slurry up till February easily and not see the Russia tankers out in January. Sorry, that was a bit long-winded
2: point. Oh, that's a good answer. Good answer. And you mentioned contractors, Jack. Is there any move to, to put penalties on contractors who are spreading?
1: I suppose that's an interesting idea, Park. I don't think the Contractors Association will be putting in that one, but if you want to, or anybody else, well, then that should be part of it. At the moment, everything is being considered. We're open to all suggestions. But contractors will tell you, if they don't do it, well, then somebody up the road will. Like there aren't penalties, or I did see recently, I think, in a case in Kerry, where a farmer cut a hedge during the closed period for the nesting period, that both the farmer and the, the contractor driving the tractor were penalised. So there is precedence there. So we're okay, also submitting, sorry. A couple sorry, back cook, there, go ahead, there.
0: In, in relation to, a follow on from that, in relation to training for contractors and the intention for, I suppose, ongoing training for farmers.
1: Training is key and I'd go back, I'd start at the very beginning and look at the Ag science syllabus that people are doing, they're getting their leaving search results today. Is that off to scratch? Then move on to the green search path that you're responsible for, what's happening there? Ag degrees, farmers, contractors, people selling, everybody, everybody needs training. I suppose there's a limit to the amount of training that people can take. As part of the derogation requirements, farmers do attend training and the feedback from it is quite positive. I think there will be more training in the future. I think it's needed because I said earlier on, there's new research coming out. This needs to be explained. It's very hard to comply or to buy in with something you don't understand. Being told to do something just because it's said is no way to make to do business, so I'd agree, the more training that's available there the better. But I'd also say to people, there's plenty of options online now and opportunities to attend conferences like never before, where you can nip in and out, you can watch it later recordings, so people should be taking responsibility for themselves as well.
2: Yeah, I guess, look, that's a good point Jack, there's almost 600 people on here this morning, so there's plenty of information going around that's of value couple of comments, Jack, on the um, fertilizer register that you mentioned. Some people are saying it's ridiculous to expect co-ops to actually manage um, a fertilizer register when they're responsible for selling it. They have targets based around it. Um, Others asking, how will it work? How do you see farmers um, using it, implementing it, participating with it? Um, If you'd like to comment on on your register proposal.
1: I suppose, like to go back to that very first quote I had from George Bernard Shaw, like, it's progress. We have to make progress. There's a fertilizer register in Denmark that works successfully. If the co-ops don't do it, who will do it? Like, is it a suggestion that the department would put someone in every co-op? I think there's about 400 different suppliers of fertilizer in Ireland. And to be fair to the co-ops, they're positive around it. They see there's a need to balance nutrients in Ireland, reduce the amount of nitrogen being sold. You'll see earlier on this year, some of the bagged fertilizer has come down from 27, two and a half, 5 to 20, 22. There's seaweed coated fertilizer being sold by certain co-ops and so on. To me, but if somebody has a better idea, again, we're open to it. You know, this is what the department thinks. It'll come in as soon as possible. And the idea is that when you go in and buy fertilizer, your data will be transferred to the department. Now, obviously, there'll be people that say, I'll go across the border or I'll buy it for cash or whatever. And that will continue. But the majority of people are compliant. And the majority of farmers are compliant. And those that are non-compliant will get less and less. And it's not like the department doesn't understand that there are loopholes. Like, nothing is perfect. But this is the best system (laughs) we think we can come up with at the moment. If there is a better idea, we're open to listening to it. But I don't know who else can do it aside from the people selling. A
2: few dairy farmers on, Jack. And they're wondering, should we be using milk solids instead of litres for your bands for cows?
1: Maybe that's a good point. And it's something that has to be considered. Um, the Chagas Moor Park Open Day is on, uh, I think it's the 14th, 15th, and there's going to be a discussion. Lawrence Shalou is going to talk. Sorry, he's not here, will be there, I'm sure, and others from Moor Park. The modeling work was done by Chagas Moor Park on our, you know, we looked for it so. Perhaps it should be, and that should be put in as, as a submission point.
2: Okay, so it's not set yet, obviously. No. Will the organic matter incorporated into tillies ground include dung that's spread already? And the same question, then I'll put the two of them together. Um, are there any proposals to make fencing of all water courses mandatory on all farms?
1: That's a very good idea about all fencing all water courses. Um, In some areas, it's not possible because it's protected land. I think from an animal health point of view alone, it's really important. But also, if we look at our... Our um, social license as a farmer like if I have a well there and a farmer is letting the animals dung in it 100 meters up above me it's not great for my health I'll get over it because I'm probably used to it but if I have a baby or someone else comes into the house it's not on there isn't a proposal there at the minute you know it has been granted for a number of years you would encourage as many farmers as possible to avoid that to avoid animals. Like there was a Cassant project there that Daryl Hoolikon and Chagas was involved in on Dundalk IT that showed E. coli levels obviously are increased when you have animals walking in watercourses. So it is something to be avoided as much as possible.
2: Something along the same lines. Are there any plans, Jack, to give farmers information on the status of the watercourses and catchments so that they know the status of the water in their area?
1: It's it's on catchments.ie. If you go on to catchments.ie, DPA, EPA, you know, the data is there. Um. What I can do is send the link, so that when this presentation is being put up, it'll be part of it. And I'm sorry, I skipped the question about organic matter incorporation. Yes, it's proposed that Dung would be incorporated as well. You know, give it a run of a disc or some way to get it in. What did come up the other day is about, like when we bring back, and maybe someone is going to ask it here, when the dates for spreading slurry and Dung and so on are brought back, what about those growing winter crops? Now, I'm not an expert on winter crops, but I do believe genuinely that the amount of nitrogen needed on winter crops is minimal unless it's on really warm ground. So the nitrogen going in there, like science research shows, without putting on any nitrogen at all, natural regeneration can soak up 50 kilos per hectare of nitrogen. It's there in the soil between harvest and Christmas time, you know, when there's a bit of growth. So why would we add nitrogen to that? But if somebody there believes it should be allowed once it's incorporated, well then please put it in in a written submission.
2: Okay, so it's not gonna be something that's gonna be sent out to farmers to let them know what their catchment the water. Okay, they'll have to go take uh, it uh, on like what,
1: what can be done though, sorry, we can talk to the lads in BPS and see is it available there on mapping, maybe on the Chagask Nutrient Management Planning Online, on Pharma, those nutrient management planning tools, there would be a water layer that would show you the exact information.
2: Okay, Splashplate, Jack, can you say a little bit about that and what the intentions are around using splash plates in the future for different bands?
1: There'll be no splash plates used above 100 kilos per hectare. That's the future, really. And ideally to be across all farms. Nitrogen, slurry, it's valuable. Blowing it up in the air, that day is gone. You know, genuinely that day is gone. So the plans are that from 100 kilos per hectare, sorry, I, I neglected to mention as well, that all pig slurry would be applied by low emission equipment as well. These are very, very valuable nutrients. And the potential is there to reduce the chemical fertilizer and to reduce losses to the environment We also have, again, as part of our social license, the issue around smell. If you use shallow shallow injection, a trailing shoe, a dribble bar, you're getting the best value you can for nutrients. So there's grant aid available there. Once something becomes a legal requirement at the moment, it can be granted for a year. (coughs) When the new cap comes in, it can be granted for two years. Now, there's a waiting list there already for this type of equipment. But it would be a pity if every farmer in the country thought the best use of his or her money was to buy triple bar or trail and shoe. Surely there are better things they could invest in like safety, grass measuring equipment, getting the lime right and use a contractor. Some farmers will want it and will have it and that's a business decision for each farmer. But there's no way that every farmer needs a tanker on their farm.
2: Okay, the number of questions, Jackie, in around the 30 kilometers rule that you've, you've got proposed. Um, could you give a little bit more detail on it? And some guys are asking here and girls are asking, do they need a second herd number if they've got, or are they better off with a second herd number if they've got blocks more than 30 kilometers away?
1: No, we're not trying to cause hassle for people just for the sake of it. Like, and getting second herd numbers, when we do an inspection, we add them together anyway. Do you know, so if you have three herd numbers because you have a dealer yard, sorry, a dealer, you know, a, a beef unit and so on, we add them together, so there's no advantage to that. The idea here, and if there's a better way of doing it, we're open to it, is to avoid farmers taking land, map acres for the sake of it. Like it used to be openly advertised in the farming papers and on done deal and the likes, map acres available, just to dilute your stocking rate or draw down entitlements. And what we're trying to do here is say, look, if you have a high stocking rate on the home platform, higher stocking rates, have a negative impact on water quality. Like Chagas research has showed up to 250 kilos per hectare is a safe amount to have a stocking rate there. But when you're getting up to very, very high stocking rates, which in some cases, not all, is what this faraway land facilitates, well, then we're doing more harm to the environment. But again, this is only a proposal park. And if there's a way, a better way of dealing with it, maybe we should be saying to farmers, look on your basic payment, Identify the grazing land, so we can calculate your stocking rate. You know, we're open to all ideas, but it is an issue that has to be dealt with.
2: They're asking as well uh, a number of questions coming in, and actually, like the 40% non-compliance, and that is suggested here in these questions. um, What's going to happen there? Like, why can the department not just implement what's actually in the Nitrates Directive as it is? And would, if that was fully implemented, would there be less of an issue?
1: There would definitely be less of an issue. Like if you don't have enough storage, you're putting out slurry at the most vulnerable time of year. Like the department does, the department is required as, the department is a paying agency for EU funds. And under that there's a requirement around inspections and the department meets all those requirements. We are not responsible, although we do it through cross compliance, we are not responsible for the nitrates regulations. It's the department of housing. I'm not passing the book. There needs to be a government approach here between local authorities, and the Department of Agriculture, and it can't be an issue like there was when we, and we are meeting with local authorities and other stakeholders, obviously, some of the local authorities explain, look, they brought someone to court and the farmer was asked to make a contribution to the poor box. If somebody is spreading slurry at this time of year, they're ruining it for all of us, not just for themselves. Definitely more compliance would be better. But even with more compliance, we still need to do better. So. Like I said earlier, the measures that are being introduced are not magic bullets, any of them, but they will help us. They'll all add up. And slurry storage is one of those key ones that will add up. But the other thing to identify, sorry, Parik, about slurry storage, like this year is a great year for farming. The price of grain is up, yields are up, beef, sheep, milk, all going well. Now, I know it might be an exceptional year and someone will say that straight away. A lot of farmers are in a taxable situation. Invest in slurry storage. Tractor registrations are up this year, new tractor registrations. Imports from the UK are up. Why not think about investing in slurry storage and write that off against tax instead? It's just another option is there because I see when I read the paper, like people are being advised to look at company status and so on to reduce their tax bill. And investment in slurry storage is also tax efficient and will benefit you and the environment.
0: There's still lots
2: of questions here, Pat. I don't know how yeah, we're, there's loads we're of time if you want to keep moving. Um, yeah, we
1: we'll keep going for a few minutes if
0: that's okay. Uh, questions in relation to the eight weeks uh, effective uh, uh, close period and the four weeks uh, of story of uh, soil water storage requirement. And just asking is, that in, is there an inconsistency there?
1: Sure, don't people dry off the cows, Pat. How many people are milking right through the winter? You know, they're not like, obviously, I, I said in the presentation there. Winter milk producers, we're going to have to sit down and tease this out exactly how it's going to work. But the majority of farmers are milking cows for say 285, 290 to 95 days a year. So there is a dry period there in that closed period as well. So, but maybe it is something we should be looking at that we should be saying eight weeks storage rather than the four to coincide with the proposed eight weeks closed period.
0: And a, a, a question there was, uh, are any issues relating to uh, protected urea looked at as part of the, the, the regulation?
1: It is, it is part of the existing regulation that the Minister for Agriculture can say to farmers greater than 170, you can only use a certain type of fertilizer, a certain type of nitrogen. So that potential is there. It is being looked at, but no decision is made around it at the minute, Pat. There, are, there, are, there is a huge push by yourselves, obviously, in Chagas around protected urea. It is one of the options that are there. Um, There's work going on with the industry to guarantee that there are no health or food risks. And as far as I'm aware, and you can correct me, that research has been published that there are no risks. Um, So it's been considered as well. The overwhelming thing though to remember from today, if you have one key message, I suppose protect yourself first of all, farmer health and safety is the department's priority. A farm safety plan was launched again there recently by Minister Hayden, and the other thing, reduce nitrogen. No matter what farm you're applying it in, reduce nitrogen.
0: Just another question there, I suppose, related to, to, to that is, have you any thoughts on how the uh, fertilizer register might might work and might operate?
1: The way we see it is that if I go down to the co-op today, I'll have to give my herd number. You know, it'll be like... Um, when you set up a bank account, you give your PPS number now. Some people have multiple accounts. You know, I know that. But that it would flow back to the department. That's the principle that I'd apply. And again, like, this is our first time coming to this. So we'll be talking to our colleagues in Denmark. You know, we've been in touch with them. It works as a fertilizer tax there. And then you get a refund if you're a farmer and you do everything right, you know. So as regards the workings of it, it'll still be teased out, but it is coming because we need to get the best use possible of it. But also we need to be able to prove that the majority of farmers are complying. The majority of farmers are doing what they're meant to be doing. But if you soil sample and link it to this, link it to your milk recording, link it to animal breeding, look at the amount of information you'll have at your fingertips to make business decisions. And that's key. Like these are, like farmers are business people, they're small and medium enterprises. And sometimes they're overwhelmed with the amount of information coming at them. This is another very valuable piece of information we see it working, you give your herd number, the info comes to us, we'll be able to do a calculation on whether you're compliant or not.
0: Question there in relation to other animals other than the dairy cow, are they being looked at in terms of uh, modification of the excretion levels?
1: They are, but uh, as far as I'm aware, there won't be information available in time for this review. Okay. I'd say there have been greater changes perhaps in the dairy animal than there have in other areas. Like if you go back to the seventies, and look at the typical dairy cow and look at the milk yield. And look at the milk yield today, what the animal is being fed. Like a dairy cow is not super efficient. If you feed it more meal, more grass, more silage, to produce more milk, there's going to be more losses.
0: And a question there in relation to tillage. Are you looking at similar levels of reduction in the tillage allowances as you are in the grassland allowances?
1: No, no. There's much higher levels of nitrogen use efficiency in tillage crops up into 60, 70% than there is in grassland. So no, we're not.
0: Okay, Parag, just, With, thing, I might just a few more questions and then finish off. There's no shortage of questions
2: there. Yeah, we could knock another hour of asking questions and maybe that's what we should do at some point. Um, But a question in here, Jack, obviously it's well accepted that the, the nitrogen level of, of the cow's excretion has increased. Is Has there been anything looked at and different um, grass varieties? Like it's well proven that new grass varieties have higher dry matter yields and have higher nitrogen requirements. Has that been taken into consideration?
1: Uh, No, to be honest, it's been talked about. I suppose we have a grass breeding program and I think just last year or earlier on this year, last year, I remember being at something with Michael O'Donovan from Moorpark and he was saying for the first time ever, we have an Irish bred clover seed there. Uh, Grass breeding is a long-term project. Definitely, it's a huge part of it because it makes up so much of the animal's diet and the protein levels in the milk are off the scale at certain times of the year farmers, the urea, farmers know that better than me. It'll take us longer. I agree certain varieties, and we've probably gone down the road of high nitrogen usage. There is more, James Humphreys was talking about it 20 years ago, Deirdre Hennessy is doing a huge amount of work on it now, clover in the grassland. And people will say clover still will lead to losses, and it will, but it's a stepping stone, perhaps, to reducing chemical fertilizer. On we go again. Multi-species grassland are an option there, saving in fertilizer. All options are being looked at. And that includes every source of feed that an animal uses, including ration, concentrates, crude protein, crude protein there. But grass obviously is key part. yes.
2: Uh, I'd say we could keep going on these. I'm not sure if, yeah. the, if, you, if, if you want to, um, Look, there's lots of, there's a very good comment here from, from James McDonald. a lot of intensive farmers rely on derogation to keep their business going. And you mentioned already that farmers are business people. It's working together to make sure that we keep this derogation. How at risk is the derogation?
1: Well, We've never, we say the department now, right? So Ireland has never gone to the commission with a situation where we've had an increasing livestock concentration in a part of the country that's coinciding with a declining water quality. That's the situation we're in. So we're in, like we, we're in negotiations with the commission, but the success of our application, and it is an application for a new derogation, will depend on Ireland being able to prove that the measures we're taking are real, that they'll be implemented, that in the river basin plan, we will have a plan around compliance. So somebody mentioned it already. We have to have a plan. It's not good enough for me to say to you today, we do a certain amount of inspections and the rest of it is up to local authorities. We have to have a national plan around it. And we have to show that we are going to sort out this. I genuinely believe we can solve this. It can be solved. It's not something where we have to throw up our hands it's not it's terrible like it's not like watching say us playing football against dublin where we know from the start we're bet like you know it's just keeping the score down we can do this ireland can do this we can solve it but it takes everyone to pull together on the time park i don't mind staying here until you get to the end so it's completely up to yourselves how long we stay here
2: look there's still over 500 people on there so you're obviously answering and saying something of interest and um, so you believe the derogation can be achieved but do you think jack that Farmers understand that there is a risk that this isn't a given, like.
1: I think that sometimes it's taught we cry wolf every four years. The department cries wolf and bangs the drum about water quality. But anyone that I've met over the last couple of years, I've been saying it. And so have colleagues in the department and so have the EPA. You know, this is not something we're dreaming up to say we have to bring in more rules and regulations, you know, make people invest money. It's a societal issue. There's more focus than ever on the environment. And it's not just like before we go near the derogation or the commission at all i don't think irish consumers and society accept that you should be allowed to pollute and i don't think farmers genuinely most of them go out to pollute anyway they're doing their best so it's time to not weed out but for those that aren't compliant to do something about it and become there i can't give a percentage guarantee or anything like that on the derogation except to say we're doing our best we're working with the epa we're working with the department of housing and of course yourselves in Chagask are vital and industry to bring forward measures that we believe can change this but like what was said to me was that you told us this before you came here four years ago you said the same thing you were bringing in measures you were going to do this you were going to do that but look what's happened so you know our credibility is falling a little bit because when you look under the bonnet we're not doing what we say we're going to do like I gave a presentation ages ago where I had a picture of a lovely environment in Ireland and we have a great story like you both have behind you there but is it a story that's real or are we spinning to sell what we're producing and if we're going down that road so be it but I don't think the consumer will accept it so we have to get a handle on this we have to and I think we have and I think we can I think we've improved over the last number of years I think we can improve further
2: Questions are still coming in, Jack. Grazing intensity, zero grazing, could you comment? There's a number of questions on zero
1: grazing. Like, I suppose zero grazers have become more common and people are using them at the shoulders of the year in some cases, you know, at the start and the end of the grazing season um, to get grass into the system, which is good. That's a good thing, like, you know, because maybe the land can't be walked on, but there is grass there. I suppose drawing grass into animals, like we claim that we're grass fed. Isn't that our big selling point abroad? that we are grass fed. You don't see a picture, if you go down to the shop after this, Boric, you won't see a picture of a zero grazer on a litre of milk. You'll see a picture of a cow in a field. So I suppose we need to be careful about system drift. Like people that are operating confined systems and finding that they work, that's fine. It's not commonplace in Ireland. Zero grazers have their place. People are making good use of them and fair play to them when they're used well. But it would be a pity to see us going away from the system that we're good at and that we're best at which is grazing animals in the field.
2: Liming is mentioned in the new uh, NAP review. Is the mandatory liming to be extended beyond farmers that are in derogation?
1: It's being considered. Sales of lime are up. But like I said, lime on the 1st of September, I rang about lime, and your man told me there's a price increase. And I had rang the week earlier about fertilizer and being told 100 or 150 euro a tonne. And he said two euro a tonne. And it wasn't that I laughed at him, but I was relieved. It's a very, very cheap soil conditioner. And yes, it is being considered for more farmers because it's so valuable and it's a way we can reduce our impact on the environment and get the soil functioning well. There's a chart out there for anyone that wants to Google it afterwards called Mulder's chart that shows the interaction between we had Robbie Burnin from Base Ireland Precision Nutrition and to be fair, it was the first time I saw it, but he talked all about soil and getting soil activity, you know, getting the earthworms, the bacteria active in the soil. David Wall did something that's online there with Bia, David Wall from Chagos where they went to various soils, dug up with a spade, just brought in a spade and dug it up and showed the impact of levels of compaction of bacterial activity on grass growth. And lime is one of the key things there to get the soil working for us. So yes, it's definitely been considered for more farmers.
2: Lots of questions, Jack, around NVZs and how are the EU pushing it? Are the department pushing it? How quick can it be implemented, I guess, or play a role in, in the next round?
1: I suppose NVZs, like what's been, what they're what are being called by the Commission, are hotspots. So the CAP strategic plan, everybody is aware, hopefully, anyway, that the CAP strategic plan was out for public consultation and the closing date is today. And again, anyone that has any good ideas, if you look up the department or the gov.ie website, it's there. But there was a meeting between the department and the Commission there back last Christmas. And they, it's published since, what should be done in Ireland about these hotspots or NVZs? So it has to be considered. Is it fair to treat a farmer in Sligo the same as a farmer in Cork or a farmer in Wexford? If you're in an area where you don't have nitrogen problems, now Wexford does, it's a bad example, but what are we, so it's there to be considered for it. It can be brought in relatively quickly, like a 15% cut to apply in those areas and 10% everywhere else can be applied relatively quickly. The problem with these NVZs is that even within a field, You have differences around soil type and losses and so on. So really you need to get, really what we need in Ireland is farm specific advice, field specific advice. So we need a well-trained advisor in the field with the farmer, talking to the farmer, because the farmer knows better than any of us, which part of the field is wet, which part you can graze early, which part I wouldn't sow corn in because I might get stuck there in a wet year or it won't grow. But that's the level of detail we need to get to. And then we should be looking at.
0: Real okay, Park, I think we're, we're going to have to, to cut it. Jack, just I suppose the sense I get from you is that you're welcoming uh, any and all contributions from the, the audience, from farmers. Uh, I think people often have the view that a, a, a response has to cover every element of the, the proposals, but the sense I'm getting from you is that if people have ideas about individual elements, to, to get it on to you as part of the consultation. You might just give give us the, a, a kind of a final uh, word on, on interacting with the consultation process.
1: Yeah, it's on gov.ie at the minute. So if you Google gov.ie nitrous consultation, it's there. If there's anything there that I've mentioned today or haven't mentioned that you believe there's a better way of doing it. Like I, there's no point in writing in to tell us we're stupid, you know, or that that doesn't make sense. Come in and point out, look, there's an issue there. This is a better way of doing it, or maybe you don't have a better way of doing it, and that's okay too, it's brilliant if you do. But if there's an obvious flaw in something that's there, you know, a practical issue on the ground, that's just not going to work, we can't implement it, it's good to hear that. But do remember that these are being packaged, somebody mentioned, Porrick mentioned the derogation earlier on, Ireland is heavily dependent, two thirds of Irish dairy cows are now on intensive farms, we are heavily dependent on the derogation. We need to protect water quality. So it isn't just a thing that you can look at the public consultation and say, I don't like that, that, and that. Take out that, because it's going to frustrate me. What are we going to do instead? You know, so, but yes, definitely, now is an opportunity. Like the public consultation is open until the 20th of September. In the first public consultation, this is the first time we've had two. In the first public consultation last November, running into January, we got over a hundred submissions. You're saying there's a good few people here today, which is brilliant. There's a high level of interest. I'd really like to make sure that people are clear. If you have issues or a lack of understanding, contact the department at nitrates at agriculture.gov.ie because the worst possible thing is that some people in the background work to cause confusion and we lose what we're trying to do here. But I would encourage everyone to engage as positively as possible. Okay.
0: I think, thank you very much. On that note, I think we'll end it. Thanks very much to Jack for, uh, I think that there's a strong recognition of the, of the quality of the presentation, Jack, and it's, it's it really appreciated. A lot of clear talking, so so thank you very much. Uh, with that, we'll, we'll uh, wrap up and just say thank you very much to our production team of Andy Boland and, and Yvonne Maher, and we'll be back to you next week uh, with Kyle uh, Summers and, and Philip Murphy, and they will be looking at combining catchment science and agricultural advice to improve water quality. So I suppose a continuation of the same theme from a slightly different angle. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost Series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost Series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.